Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective. In today's episode, I sat down with Captain Benny Blanco, host of the new outdoor show, Florida Sportsman Waterman. Benny and I got together to discuss a variety of subjects ranging from his history in South Florida, issues with our water quality, how we can improve environmental education, tips on working with clients, and his hope for the future of the outdoor entertainment industry. Benny is an advocate for the Captains for Clean Water group, which exists to protect our most important resource and raise awareness about critical issues in Florida's estuaries. To learn more and to join the fight, please visit captainsforcleanwater.org. I hope that you enjoy. This is the Captains Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. He tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. He got him. He's on. Uh, two butt caps off the rods, filled them with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's, you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time, flips the, he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. Anytime I said, you talk so much, you're like a senator. Hey, Benny, thanks for coming on the podcast and hanging out with us today. My pleasure, Hunter. Absolutely my honor to be uh, have the ability to talk and, and tell you my story. Yeah. Do you mind just starting with how you got into guiding and fishing? Well, I don't know if you have enough time for that, but... Uh, you know, so I, I grew up in Miami, and Miami is a heavy fishing community, and uh, we have access to water literally in every direction, and um, access to the best fishing in every direction, and and it started in the backyard or driving to the Publix or, you know, going to the baseball field, and there's canals and lakes everywhere, and I I, I, cu- I guess I cut my teeth on little bass and little brim and all the canals and just fell in love with fishing in general. And I think at the core of every single guide is a little kid who found himself fishing. Mm-hmm. And fishing did some type of, um, was some type of uh, escape, you mm-hmm. know, in and in a way to connect with nature in, a, in, a, in an environment that you ordinarily wouldn't be able to connect. And you started kind of running around in the canals in the Miami area? Or? Oh, yeah. And in Miami, it's, you know, in Miami, the canals and the lakes are are full of fish. Mm-hmm. And um, and great fish, you know, bass and peacock bass. And, and you have snook sometimes and tarpon. And mm-hmm. uh, it's very rare to find a situation where you could literally get in your on your bike and go catch any one of those four species. Yeah. And when did you start going out, like, on boats and kind of going beyond the canals and riding around? Well, Fortunately, um, I was surrounded by adults who liked to fish. My uncle uh, had um, a flat skiff. It was a, a huge redfisher back in the day, and okay. an old lappy. And um, and you know he he found the Everglades slightly before I became interested in fishing, and he introduced it to me probably when I was five or six, and uh, and I fell in love immediately. I mean, you come from Miami where you have you know buildings in every direction and and the canals, even the canal, you're fishing in a canal, but you're fishing in somebody's backyard, really. And then you, you see the Everglades where yeah. there is nothing. Massive difference. Right. And there's, you're surrounded by wildlife and, you know, and there's fish, a prospect of fish on every cast. 
that was overwhelming to me and that I was captivated immediately. Do you remember the first time you went to the Everglades? Oh yeah, I could tell you the whole thing. I mean, we, I was probably five and um, I caught my first redfish for first snook and I saw mangroves for days and black water and, and it was just, to me, it felt like this untouched wild place that no one had discovered yet. And obviously that wasn't the case, but that's what it felt like. Yeah. And, I, and, and that, and, those wild places, that that original initial feeling of that, that it's just this undiscovered place that I have to explore, that's what I'm trying to protect. And you said you caught your first redfish in the Everglades. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What what's the story there? Do you remember? I mean, nothing fantastic. It was probably a popping cork and a shrimp. You yeah. know, you know. I mean, when you're five years old, um, you're not gonna have a lot of skill. You're not gonna sight fish a fish, and uh, and pretty sure it was on a popping cork um it didn't matter it was a redfish it was the everglades yeah. it was a wild place and i was five and my eyes were as big as my face yeah and did you get together a lot as a kid after no that? i didn't uh initially i didn't it but it was on my mind always mm-hmm. um i mean i don't know how to compare it otherwise but um you know i was so captivating that i thought about it when i was asleep i thought about it when i was in school i mm-hmm. thought about it when I was sitting at the canal catching whatever I was catching, all I wanted to do was get back to the glades. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's part of just understanding the the desire you have to bring clean water about and for people to understand the environment? Do you think there's some tie there too as being a kid and going out to the Everglades and feeling like it's so untouched and there's, unchartered? There's absolutely no doubt. I mean, uh, uh, you know, as a fishing guide, as a professional fisherman in general, when you've got you know, some time under your belt, you never have that opportunity to go catch your first snook again, mm-hmm. catch your first tarpon again, that you get to see the Everglades for the first time again. But we take people for the first time all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's your opportunity to relive it. And, and when you can relive it and you see that, um, you you inherently want to have more places like that mm-hmm. to, to share with people. And And the reality is these days we're losing them faster than we can even think about saving them. And so um, there's absolutely no doubt that, that that initial feeling that I had when I was a kid that that you know those that decade before I became you know a, a dedicated Everglades angler of just dreaming about it all the time that you know that that finding that first wild place that special feeling right there that's yeah that's what we fight for. And you and I both have daughters, and you know you want to see the next generation be able to go out and to feel that way about nature and the world and be able to experience it. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I talk to my daughters about it all the time, and fortunately my oldest daughter is uh, reaching into the marine biology field. Mm-hmm. Um, they got to experience the Everglades. Not Definitely not at its height, because, I mean, I'm not sure that I got to see it at its height, and I've been guiding there 21 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they certainly saw it before we lost all the seagrass and before we had algal problems. And and, um, and when you take them there now, you can, you can definitely feel the tone, hear the tone, and see in their faces the difference in what they're experiencing as far as fish goes. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, I want to protect it for them, there's no doubt, but mm-hmm. I know that at some point I'm gonna have a conversation with my grandchildren. My grandson, my granddaughter, who, and when I when take them out there, and I don't want it to be, it used to be like this. Yeah. I don't want it to be the, the best days were this. Yeah. I, I want that conversation to be more like, look at that beautiful redfish, and look yeah. at that grass, and look at the water, and and not even have a conversation about what it used to be. Yeah, and um, 
and one of the shows I did this year, uh, my buddy Shane Smith in the South, Southern uh, Lower Keys, he said he had a great line, and it was, at, at some point, what we're fishing today is going to be the good old days. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of talking about the good old days. Yeah. I would like for the good old days to be coming up. Yeah. And the reality is, that is so possible. I think we get stuck in that 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 pattern and that thought that the good old days are definitely behind us, and that's and that, and that honestly that's bullcrap. Yeah, uh, we know that through education, through conservation, through protecting these places, that it can get better. It will get better. She shows it to us all the time. Mother Nature shows us all the time. Yeah, and so we know that. That's and that's the hope. That's the drive for guys like me who who know that if we just can educate the right people and continue that message that that we could have a better place and at one time at some point i'm going to have that conversation with my grandkids where it's look look at how beautiful this place is yeah and i sense that a little bit that it's not that you have to educate people in that hey the things are are heading in a bad direction or they're not as good as they were a while back but that trying to educate people in the hope that we have that there actually can be a turnaround because i do think there's a little bit of cynicism or maybe even skepticism towards the idea that like will something ever change will and how do you try to bring hope to people who maybe feel like there's just nothing we can do just yeah well i mean there are times when i look at what what's happened and and i lose hope Mm -hmm. no doubt but there's a fine line there you know we we have to have that historic perspective we have to talk about what it was in order to understand where we are Mm -hmm. so there's this 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 theory called shifting baseline and it's, it's a very big problem because you have, and I'll explain it. So my baseline for what the Everglades is, is what I saw in the late 90s and the early 2000s and, and what the park was then, right? But if, if I go talk to my friend Rob Fordyce, his baseline was what was in the 80s. And if I go talk to, you know, Flip Hallett, his baseline is what was in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we understand what the glades should be is totally different. But we have to understand that historic perspective to understand where we are mm-hmm. and where we can get to. Now, the Glades and all, most of these estuaries we're talking about saving, they're never going to get back to completely what they were. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. But if we know what it could have could be, then then we know when we we know what we have to fight for to get back to at least a portion of that. Yeah, and it's a fine line. You you have to understand the historic history. You have to understand that we're in a in a bad place in a lot of these places. But you also have to have that hope, otherwise there really is nothing to fight for. And and I mean honestly that hope is what drives me every day. And nature has a way of being able to correct and restore over time. Sure. And and I've heard I've heard stories from different guys across the state that are talking about how there there's a up uphill swing for them things are starting to head in the right direction Mm -hmm. on certain fisheries and with certain species and i do think too just being able to share hey here's some progress being made here not and i heard you talk on a podcast previously that a lot of fishing guides felt like they just kind of had to be billboards or Mm -hmm. they'd say everything's great we're catching lots of fish everything's good because you don't want to turn clients away but you want to be realistic you want to be real so that people are educated but at the same time you want to be able to celebrate some wins along the way and it seems like You know, it seems like they're they're on the education side of things that there's been some real forward progress with captains and clean water and yeah. there's been a lot of progress with education and it's really been uh, a labor of love because we have seen a lot of that um, you know negative feedback about mm-hmm. you know we really shouldn't talk about what the water issues are because we're a tourism based state and people won't come and 
And I get that. I was in of that train of thought for a while. But then in 2015, we lost 50,000 acres of seagrass in Florida Bay. And I went to every organization, CCA, and you know every organization around, and could not believe my eyes and ears when no one was raising hell. Mm-hmm. And I lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so we're beyond that point of not talking about it, so people will still come because those people who have been coming for years know mm-hmm. that it's not what it was. Mm-hmm. And if you're not honest with them, a you're going to take a chance of losing a client, and B, you're taking a chance of losing someone who could be an advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, because the people, you know, the guides obviously care heavily about what's going on in the, in the water; it's their li- livelihood. But the people who care the next are the people who are paying them to come fish those areas. Mm-hmm. And they, they are the advocates. My clients, for the last three years, I've been educating on what's going on. I've been, you know, telling them about the organizations and where they can best, you know, invest their money and, and their time, and it, it will blow you away see how involved they've become mm-hmm. and if i'd have taken that train of thought three years ago that we shouldn't talk about what's going on and then we should just you know keep fishing and for as long as we can mm-hmm. and and then keep the tourism coming then those guys probably wouldn't be fishing with me anymore because mm-hmm. i haven't been honest with them and so uh, i look at it as an opportunity and uh, I, th- I hope that at this point in the game all of the guys around the, the state are looking at it as an opportunities they're sharing the knowledge that we've been constantly sharing so that we can create a group of advocates. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way we're going to get to change. And something that I think is kind of a, a myth that floats around is that it only impacts these handful of fisheries and whether it's Sanibel or Mosquito or, you know, et cetera. But really something I've noticed in traveling around and hanging out with different guides, even freshwater guys up in the mountains, is that everybody cares about the environment. Everyone cares about their ecosystems. And something I was wondering too is like how how can guides, whether you're a guide down in the Keys or you're in Texas or you're a mountain trout guide, how can how can they do a better job educating their clients with the right way, like without necessarily shoving it down their throat, but then at the same time just pretending like everything's great. I mean, what are yeah, your... So, uh, I mean, a really easy rule of thumb is to to become f- very familiar with the with the information. Mm-hmm. And the information is readily available. CapturedCleanWater.org, EvergladesFoundation.org. I mean, there's a number of organizations, Bonefish Department Trust, up and down the state. Um, all the Riverkeeper Alliances have great information. And uh, it sounds silly, to, you know, oh, we have to go educate ourselves so we can mm-hmm. educate our clients, but that's, I'm telling you that if, if you understand what's going on, if you mm-hmm. really have the science, then it becomes an organic conversation. Mm-hmm. When it's forced, when you're trying to force it, when you don't know everything, and that's that's when it becomes uncomfortable. That's when it becomes like you're forcing things down your throat. And um, when you become educated, the awesome part about becoming educated, and I've seen this all over the state, and that's why I do what I do. That's why we created the show. That's why we we create awareness whenever possible. Is one one person becomes educated with the real information and they're comfortable with it, then they tell 20. Because mm-hmm. the first thing that happens to you when you become educated about anything, you learn something new, you want to mm-hmm. tell somebody. Yeah. And so they tell 20 people. And then those 20 people are comfortable and they tell 20 people. And mm-hmm. that's how a movement starts. And so what you're saying is like, let's just say that I'm a new client. I come out on the boat with you. Mm-hmm. And you're just saying that because you've spent so much time learning the information that it just will come up naturally, whether it's... Mm-hmm. You know, we're pulling up on a certain spot, and you sure. and you say, "You see the seagrass? I want to let me just tell you what's going on with this." Or mm-hmm. sure, I mean, it could be something as as blunt as that, or, or it could be 
you know, he made a cast and he's got, he pulls in a bunch of seagrass that came off the top and I can explain to him why that happened and mm -hmm. what's been happening with the glades and it comes, mm -hmm. it's a 10 minute conversation. He understands what happened and now he, we move on. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes an organic situation and I, I, I didn't understand that at first, but now going around the state and telling, talking to people about what's going on and educating people, uh, it is absolutely an organic thing mm -hmm. because it's something that's, that's what I'm passionate about and something that I've become educated for. So mm -hmm. if, if the if the guides wanted to have a, an organic conversation, then all they have to do is educate themselves. And there's so much information. There's so many ways they could simply just watch my show and mm -hmm. become educated. But they could come to any one of the captains' meetings. They could simply go online for an hour and read a few things. And um, the you know the the science is is readily available. It's black and white. And mm -hmm. um, and if you if you become educated, then it's easy to have organic conversations with anyone you meet. What do you feel like is the biggest obstacle with trying to educate guides and other people who are just avid fishermen? Well, I mean, with guides in general, I mean, it's we are a special group, you mm -hmm. know, and one guide doesn't want to be, you know, taught by another guide in mm -hmm. general. I mean, there's a lot of pride involved and, and the ego, and it's just a it's one of those special cases that, you know, like a, like a, like on a football field, you know, you know, you it's it's easier if it comes from a coach and there's just no coaches in this industry. So, hmm. um, I try to get with guys. I absolutely just try to make it as organic as possible, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and I don't push it. If there's any, you know, negative feedback, if there's any pushback, I absolutely just move on. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that's going to take time. There's, there's no way that I'm going to go to educate every single guide mm -hmm. in my area in five minutes. It just doesn't happen. It's going to take five years. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I don't rush it and I don't push it. And uh, where I'm, where there's an opportunity, I take it. And when there's not, I move on. Mm -hmm. And how, how would you respond to somebody who kind of thinks, oh, this is, people are being dramatic. This is, you hear the word fake news a lot. Or, you know, I'm sure you remember when people were talking a lot about global warming and that's a lie. And, you know, just all sorts of kind of skepticism towards it. Hey, man, I, I caught three snook yesterday. What are you talking about? I mean, how do you yep. think the best way to respond to, to that is? You move on. I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know that person is doesn't want to be educated mm -hmm. so you give them the opportunity to find the education on their own and mm -hmm. what happens a lot is especially what i've experienced a lot uh, and down in south florida there's a lot of clicks and there's a lot of guides who don't want to be educated by other guides and, and initially the guides who were the loudest saying that you know you're being dramatic that you're that's fake news are now the guys who are the loudest proponents for capture clean water mm -hmm. for everglades foundation who who have come around on their own, mm -hmm. who've got the education on their own, and now, because they have the education, are spreading it the right way. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that's been cool to me, you know, I'm 26 years old, and I'm, I'm new to the whole thing, you know. I mean, I grew up fishing in, in the outdoors, but as far as kind of the, the guide and the industry side of things, I'm new to all of this. And it's one of the things that's been really cool is, you know, we had mentioned some of this earlier at coffee, but it's like, there's a lot of things that divide guides. You know, there's guys who look down on conventional and there's guys who look down on live bait or fly fishing or people who travel and go to different spots and locals. And it's all of these things that cause division amongst guides. But one of the things that really does seem to be pulling people together is groups like Captains for Clean Water, who all of a sudden, you know, I mean, because you know, we, we were just hanging out at iCast, you know, it's like, here's the sunglasses I wear, here's the shirt I wear, the, you know, but now we're all together on this. Nobody really is, is hesitating to come together and say, hey, I really want to be a part of 
helping this environment become better, right. you know? Well, I, any guide who spent more than five minutes on the water, and if you are a guide, you've spent more than five minutes on the water, mm -hmm. whether you're a conventional tackle fisherman, whether you're a fly fisherman, what bait fisherman versus artificial, you've seen the degradation. There's no hiding it. You know it. You may not talk about it. You may not want to. You may not want to spread the information with your clients. You may not want to get on the internet and talk about it. But you know it. And so that's the underlying connecting thread that that holds and brings all those people together to fight like with captains and with Everglades and, mm -hmm. and all the organizations because they know that if we have to stand up, mm -hmm. there's no. If anyone who tells you who's a guide in Florida and tells you that my fishery is coming back and it's better than it's ever been is full of crap mm -hmm. and they're in complete denial mm -hmm. so anyone who's a guide worth any his weight and salt mm -hmm. understands that there is a general degradation that happens every single day and that if we don't start protecting mm -hmm. our places that we fish and love then we're going to lose them mm -hmm. and so that's the underlying threat and it's the underlying threat like i said that people just don't necessarily always talk about and so that's what brings us all together regardless so i mean i'll fight next to any fisherman who understands that we have to fight for our protect, yeah. protect our water. And then the last question question I had in this kind of category was, you know, you talked about there are times where you felt like you've lost hope, yeah, you know, whether sure. frustrated that people just don't seem to care. Mm -hmm. What are some tips that you could give or some advice that you could give to a captain who's fighting mm -hmm. and feeling discouraged or starting to lose hope? Take a break. I take a break all the time. Um, I mean, I, you, uh, that goes through any anything in life. You know. I, I'll get in the situation where I've got 60 something days in a row and they're 12 hour days and I hate guiding. I hate fishing. I hate the water. I hate everything. And I just take a break mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised how quickly you become rejuvenated and mm -hmm. want to get back in it. And, um, you know, with the fight for, for water and to protect our wild places, it's, it's an inherent passion that you can't hide because that, there's no way to hide the connection that every single person in the state of Florida has with water. Mm -hmm. You can't hide it. Mm -hmm. So you may need a break, and I take breaks all the time. And once I have a break, I'm ready to rock. What, is, what does the break look like? I Netflix could, and binge eating? Or? It could be. I mean, it could be a <laughs> softball game, my daughter's softball yeah. game. It could be taking my daughters out to dinner. It could be, you know, just sleeping in one day. Mm -hmm. And um, it could be, you know, taking the boat to do all the errands. It's just a, a break from... The constant grind mm -hmm. and just giving yourself a second to catch up your your mind a second to relax and then and then you're ready to rock yeah and just have a little margin time i work with a lot of college students in tallahassee and one of the things that i've noticed that even in the short time that i've been working in in that area is that they just don't have a ton of margin time because from the moment they wake up they look at their phone they pop on the phone then they're just always running doing things doing things doing things and they're not just sitting for a moment and just breathing and mm -hmm. reflecting and just resting. They're just constantly stimulating their mind, yeah. you know, and I, I'm so guilty of that. And anyone who, who watches my storylines on, on social media, understand that I, I just don't stop. Mm -hmm. I really don't, uh, you know, I'm a full-time guide, um, 280, 300 days a year. I, I'm, I've got this TV show that I'm trying to promote and to educate the masses. I have three daughters who demand mm -hmm. time. I have a wife and a, and a family life and, and, there really is no time for anything else. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I find ways to, to, to get breaks. You know, mm -hmm. I have long drives into Everglades National Park. I have, um, you know, I wake up before everybody does. Mm -hmm. and I have a coffee time and I can sit there for an hour and, and just think, you mm -hmm. know. And, um, but a break is important for anything you do in life. I mean, yeah. just in general. 
And that's a good, that's a, that's a good kind of encouragement there just to, to make, to fight and work hard also just to have time to reflect and rest. Um, also transitioning, you talked about the television show. I know that you're working on a new project. Could you share a little bit of that with us? I'd I'd love to. Thank you, Hunter. Um, so I, I started in 2018, uh, with Florida Sportsman Magazine with a, with a show named Florida Sportsman Waterman. I did it because uh, I saw an opportunity to uh, further the movement and educate the general masses. I mean, the guides are one one thing, and, and hopefully they've watched some of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, not holding my breath there, but but the recreational and uh, fishing industry, just in general, the outdoors community in Florida, it's really important that everyone in the state of Florida understands that they're connected to water mm-hmm. one way or another. That if we if we if our environment continues to degrade degradate as in the in the way that it is right now, mm-hmm. that our tourism industry is going to suffer. And if our tourism industry suffers, everything is affected. So we're all connected. Mm-hmm. And so I saw it as an opportunity. I was offered a TV show, a fishing show, and I I'm not a fan of fishing shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I created a conservation based education show disguised as a fishing show, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. Um, we had we were had major constraints with finances, with time, with structure, and held back quite a bit. And despite all of that, I had personally I had a really tough year mm-hmm. uh, because of all that. And um, but despite all that, we we created what I believe is really awesome show, mm-hmm. and we started a movement. Um, I didn't want to stop that. I couldn't continue in this the current structure it was, so I separated from. That organization and I started my own TV show. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, it's called Waterman's Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Decibel is still my production manager. I could not do anything without him because mm-hmm. uh, let's face it, I, I have crazy passion and I have crazy ideas, and he's the only one that understands it mm-hmm. and can put it on TV and does it in a way that that is very organic, and that's what we need. And um, I had a very successful iCast the last couple of days, and we're going to be rock and rolling really soon. But the message is the same that that as fishermen, recreational, commercial, as guides, we are the stewards of the water we fish. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? That means that you know, the water the water had, does not have a voice. And um, we have groups all around the state of Florida who fight for it, who, who try to protect it, who monitor it, and who, who understand the science, but the water does not have a voice. And we are the only group of people who are on the water 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. We know more about that water intimately than anyone else. I don't care if you're a biologist. Um, you, you can take any guide in, in an estuary who's been guiding for 20 plus years, and they know why water moves left, why it moves right, why it goes up, why it goes down, why it's clean, why it's not, and they can educate scientists. And mm-hmm. the scientists now are understanding that, and acknowledging that. The best thing that's come from all of this is that the scientific community is working with the angling community, mm-hmm. and that's huge. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I want to continue that message that we are the stewards. I want to continue perpetuating uh, a cultural change where we're we're protecting and conserving and understanding our footprint when we go in these these water instead of this take 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 mentality that we have to stop. And what are some of the changes now that you have a little bit more freedom mm-hmm. and you can and I think that's everybody anybody that's creating content you want to keep being able to you know you don't want to have restraints on you you want to yeah. you have a vision for what you're doing what are some of the changes that we're going to see in this new show? Well the there's a lot. There's a few changes, uh, mostly in the behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, but we have some pretty interesting partners for next year, and um, we're going. 
we're going to give in every single episode we're going to give a greater opportunity for the host organization to have a voice mm-hmm. so um you know uh the bonefish department trust is going to host a show i'm sure and um and if I know Aaron Adams well, then he's going to want to talk about habitat restoration, mm-hmm. which I believe is easily the one of the top three things we have to focus on in the state right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can put fish in an estuary all day long, brand new fish, we can continue to restock it. But if the mm-hmm. habitat's not healthy enough to, to maintain it, then those fish are not going to last. Mm-hmm. And so habitat restoration is, is extremely important going forward, and I'm sure he's going to want to talk about that. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to give him the ability to be on the show, talk about it, give us the science behind it have an opportunity to tell directly talk directly to the the viewership about it we're going to give him an opportunity to write a blog to blast out to promote that show and then he's going to have btt is going to have a 30 second commercial to 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 either promote the organization Mm -hmm. or talk about what we need to do to get there yeah and um and so i want to create a platform for education through a fishing show yeah and uh the awesome part about the, the you know the the structure of the show is that i'm leaning on these huge voices mm-hmm. if anyone's seen the last year they understand that i fish with flip i fish with rock bordice fish with ca mm-hmm. brett martina and peter miller and joe gonzalez the, the, you know the top of the top mm-hmm. and all these estuaries and we're talking about why water is important to us but we're all professional fishermen this is mm-hmm. what we do every single day so to, to catch fish and to make an entertaining show is not that difficult so we we absolutely produce a fishing show so that we can get the message across Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to lean on these organizations to teach and give them the ability to teach directly to viewership, which is, a, which is awesome. And hopefully influence, and I think this will happen, influence other content creators to, to do the same. Oh, man, that's already happening. Yeah. I, I, I mean, before I started the show last year, very few TV shows were talking about water and why we have to protect it and mm-hmm. you know, what our jobs are, what our, what our responsibilities are. And now almost every single one of them mm-hmm. are talking about it. And I don't want to claim that at all, at all. Um, I just, it's it's a it's a change, a cultural change mm-hmm. that I want to recognize, yeah. and I want to honor, and I want to thank them for. Yeah. Because as leaders in this industry, it is our absolutely our responsibility to perpetuate that message that we have to protect our water. Mm-hmm. And and every time I see it, the last thing I get is is upset that they're trying to steal my under, my my, yeah. my thought. That's absolutely not it. What, what I want to do is thank them. Yeah. Because we have to all start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, claim it, not claim it. It's yeah. doing it encourages it, you For know. Sure. And I also think, too, that we're in a world where, you know, I can pull up my phone and look at 500 photos of tarpon face grabs. Right. And, you right. know, a ton of people have drones and are getting great footage. And if that's what you enjoy doing, that's great. But at the end of the day, I think something that can differentiate somebody who's creating content, too, is that they actually really, really love the environment and they really do want to help people better understand it and that's going to help you as a fisherman too i mean understanding the water understanding the the different things that are happening in the ecosystem is going to translate too into having you know better success following tracking targeting fish for sure i mean education always helps yeah and you know that's definitely a a learning curve that the younger guides i mean i went through as a younger guide Mm -hmm. and um, i see all the younger guides going through they think that because they went and caught some fish that they can become a guide, and, mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen. The only way you get there is through experience and through education, educating yourself on the science behind every fish, behind the water, behind the environment. And if you understand all those things, then you know as a guide, your whole entire job is to eliminate variables mm-hmm. constantly. Eliminate 
the long cast, eliminate the wind, eliminate the depth of water, eliminate the visibility issue by putting the sun over your shoulder or by getting the right angle on the cast. And you're eliminating variables constantly. Mm -hmm. And if you can understand from a scientific perspective what those variables are, it just gives you the upper hand. Mm -hmm. And so education in all cases makes, makes a lot of sense. Did you have any light bulb moments for you as a guide before you got into the, the television show when you were a younger guy that it really clicked for you that you really needed to make this a priority in your life? Oh, man, so many. Um, yes. You know, every every year I would see something that mm -hmm. blew me away um, environmentally that I, I thought, you know, that's a bad sign. And, um, but what happened prior to 2015 is I, I just figured – like everyone did, that there's somebody fighting to protect it. Mm -hmm. There's all these organizations. There's a scientific community. It's a national Someone park. else will do it, yeah. Somebody yeah. else is taking care of it, of course. So in 2015, when that all went down, and I saw my fishery, which was, which was booming, completely destroyed. And I, I mean, I had to fight back the tears to go f talk to these people to find out what was going on, how I can get involved. And when I found out that nothing was happening, yeah. That's when I realized that we are the people mm -hmm. responsible for protecting these places. Mm -hmm. We are. And that's why I did the show. That's why I fight. Because everyone needs to understand that no one's going to go find, fight for it. No one's gonna, first of all, no one's going to go fight for it like we are. Mm -hmm. No one's as connected to the water as we are. Period. And, and frankly, no one's fighting for it. These organ a lot of organizations say they are. And, 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 there's, and there's a lot of political... Uh, red tape that happens and you know there's they, they, they understand it takes a long time and there's, yeah. there's no sense of urgency whatsoever well for me the when that that went down in 2015 i went to tallahassee to the first meeting and i could not believe that they weren't you know just like on it to go fix it mm -hmm. that it was just you know something on the back burner on like you know page 27 of their agenda to talk about not even to address and uh, and i thought i would i thought going up there that i'm going to tell them what's going on and they're going to fix it and that that's so far from what actually mm -hmm. is happening now it's a different story mm -hmm. now we're three and a half years in from when i first met daniel andrews and chris whitman in tallahassee when we were fighting for the same thing we're three and a half years after starting captains for clean water three and a half years after fighting at every single tallahassee meeting every single dc meeting every single district meeting we could go to and now we have a governor we have several state legislative uh, politicians who mm -hmm. are all fighting for water because it is it is we've made it the number one issue in the state mm -hmm. we have and we have to recognize that we have mm -hmm. this this industry has made it the number one issue in the state and now because we're making progress we have to double down on that a those politicians who have been elected on those platforms need to mm -hmm. understand that we're holding them to it and b we have to continue to educate so that we can get more politicians, more legislators, more scientists involved so that we can see a solution soon. Yeah. And there's still that there's still that danger of people thinking, okay, well, Benny's going to fight for it or Chris yeah. is going to fight for it. Daniel's going to fight for it. And I, I wish I would have paid more attention in college, but I do remember I took a psychology like basic level class and there's a, there's a term for it. Somebody can email me it or whatever, but they talked about how, you know, in large group settings, a lot of times nobody will do anything right. because they think someone else is going to do it. Yeah. And I definitely think too, that another myth or misconception might be, well, I don't have a TV show. Mm -hmm. I don't have X amount of followers on social media or whatever, yeah. you know, who cares what I think, but people do care, oh, yeah. you know? Well, I'll tell you this. I, well, 
I've never. It's also a personality thing. Mm-hmm. I've never been that kind. You know, I, I never, especially in this industry, I've never waited for somebody to tell me what to do or mm-hmm. or, or wait for the group to go do it. I, I'm, you know, I kind of formulate my own ideas, but um, every single, I'll tell you this for sure, every single voice matters. Mm-hmm. And the first time I went to Tallahassee, I, you know, I was abruptly educated on what our voice really means but what was a light bulb moment for me mm-hmm. was when they could not when i when i recognized they could not believe that i drove up from everglades national park to go tell them about the problem mm-hmm. that they gave me time and they gave me attention and that's when mm-hmm. i realized that i'm gonna at that moment i realized i'm going to every single one of these damn things mm-hmm. because they will listen if you're there mm-hmm. and so every single voice matters Every single voice matters. I don't care if you think I have two followers on Instagram and no one's going to listen to me. Your voice matters, and it's important to become educated so that you can you can educate the people around you. Yeah. I mean, if you and if you can educate two people, then your voice did something. Yeah. So uh, that's how we have to look at it. Yeah. There's like that story about the you know a kid walking the beach with his grandpa, and there's like millions of starfish washed up on the beach and he picks one up and throws it in the ocean and he picks another one up and the grandpa says what are you doing and he said i'm saving starfish and he said you can't save them all and the kid leans over and he picks up a starfish and he throws in the ocean and says save that one Mm -hmm. and i do think that you know it's it's easy to tell yourself well i'm not a tv guy you know no one really cares what i think but if you can just make a small impact it all adds up together Mm -hmm. and even what you were saying when you drove up to tallahassee two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. that was pre-tv show right well yeah or i didn't have any yeah. i mean i mean i had very little followers on instagram i had mm-hmm. no tv show the tv show wasn't even i didn't just start a tv show last year yeah um what stood out was how much you cared that you were willing to drive up and, well i mean uh, as you can tell i have a lot of passion for it but mm-hmm. um and i think every one of us does and i, I said that before like w- the connection that we all have with water mm-hmm. is is a is a passion that you cannot hide mm-hmm. some people maybe haven't realized it yet uh, but but by by talking about it, by talking about what's going on, by educating people, you you'd be I think you're surprised yourself on mm-hmm. what kind of passion you have for saving the place that you love. Mm-hmm. As a back to kind of the, the guiding piece of what you do, sure. As a guide, what do you feel like you do best? Mm. Um, I want to say I probably do best. I probably do best at creating relationships with my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, the misconception is that a guide who just catches a lot of fish is a great guide or a guide who you know is booked all the time is a great guide mm-hmm. no. a guide who is uh you know great at marketing a guide who is great at communication with their clients a, great, a guide who makes their clients feel at home on the boat a guide who educates their clients a guide who puts them on fish but tells them why and educates them how to do it that's a great guide mm-hmm. and so i want to say that i I create healthy relationships with my clients, and uh, I and I make them feel at home, and I educate them while I'm on the boat, not just about water, but about how to catch fish and why we're catching those fish and mm-hmm. the science behind it, and and it helps them fall in love with the water that I love, and um, I think that's probably what I do best. If I had to pick one thing, yeah. What are some things that you do to try to make a client feel at home on the boat? I mean, there's a lot of things. I you know I think it's a natural thing. You know, I just uh, you know joke with them and. You know, take the the pressure off of mm-hmm. you know that first. You know, when you're pulling and yeah. flying up to that first tailing redfish and or bonefish, mm-hmm. and they're you know they're completely stressed out. And you can see their knees shaking, or they see the first tarpon migration for the first time. And I mean, 
a joke goes a long way. Um, mm -hmm. Some positivity goes a long way. Uh, but formulating that bond, I think, is the most important thing a guide can do during that day, whether they catch a fish or not. Mm -hmm. Formulating that bond, cre creating a, a, a trust relationship with their client is, is super important. And I think um, as a guide in this industry, you know, we have, you know, let's just look at the, the, the fishing community in general. You have X number of people who are willing to hire guides mm -hmm. throughout the industry, right? Mm -hmm. Then you take away bass and there's like a small percentage who are saltwater guys. And then you take away offshore and there's a really tiny, small percentage of guys who want to fish inshore saltwater. Believe it or not, our industry is super small. Mm -hmm. And so when you have someone, whether you are a rookie guide or a veteran guide, your responsibility is to make sure they have a good time mm -hmm. because you're, you're then responsible to our industry to make sure that those people become educated on how to catch fish and want to come back, whether they come back to you or not. Mm -hmm. We have very few opportunities at new clients in this industry. Yeah. And, and that may be my, one of my biggest frustrations with the younger guides. Um, and this is a sore subject in general, but like you have younger guides who, you know, who daddy bought them a boat and daddy bought them a truck and daddy bought them a, a website yeah. and they're great at catching fish with their buddies. But then you stick somebody who comes down from Wyoming for the first time to go catch that first redfish or bonefish, and the guy doesn't know how to put them on them or is abrupt with them mm -hmm. or doesn't educate them, doesn't give them the time of day, and that person never comes back. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's important that as guides we understand that responsibility to the industry and that we understand the responsibility of that client to make sure that they feel at home where they are to give them the best day we can so that they come back for the industry. Could you talk about some mistakes people make with clients because that makes a lot of sense in some ways it's kind of similar to the environment which is like understanding sure. the the impact that your actions can have not just on the environment but on the industry mm -hmm. but what are some mistakes that people make with clients on the boat that you feel like would make them not want to come back yeah, i mean it's really easy i mean fishing's supposed to be fun mm -hmm. we forget about that all the time it's a business for us and so sometimes we look at that person as the the day pay for the day and that's you know we just got to get through the end of the day and we, we can pay our bills type thing yeah. that person is paying you money to go catch fish and have fun mm -hmm. fishing is fun so make it fun mm -hmm. the mistake people make is they take they lose the sight of that and so they put too much pressure on a fish uh, i've seen guides do it all the time i've got clients that come to me all the time who have been with somebody else who say they got yelled at me and got way too you know intense and you know and and uh, and or he was drinking or he was using profanity or mm -hmm. it's supposed to be fun mm -hmm. so if we keep or if we remember the fact that fishing is fun then we'll never have a problem with the client on the boat mm -hmm. and and some people just don't care about the clients and you can't really it kind of reminds me of what do you do with somebody who just says oh that's just a bunch of fake news i don't care you know you yeah. can't make someone care yeah um you know that that guy should probably be in a different industry mm -hmm. i mean i i don't want to say i this profession, um, and I'm sure it's the same in a lot of professions, but in this pr profession especially, you have to love what you do mm -hmm. if you're going to be a successful guy. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would say, I don't care about my clients, mm -hmm. but there's a big difference between saying, I care about my clients because what they can do for me mm -hmm. by paying, sure. and I care about my clients as in, like, I know about their kids and their life yeah. and the things they're interested in, and, you know, I actually care about their well-being and want them to have a good time. Even if they don't catch a big fish, that makes my Instagram page look better. Yeah. You know, I, what I care about is that they go back to whatever state, whatever city, mm -hmm. and that they enjoyed it, and that this was a decompression mm -hmm. time for them. You know, 
And yeah. so I think that's – for you, you know, you, you said you've been guiding for 24 years? This is my 21st year. 21st year. Mm -hmm. So you're in a really good place, I think, in some ways to be – I've sat down with a couple other guys, like uh, almost the middle child, for mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase, between the younger guides, which you still have some connection to, of course, mm -hmm. and then the, the old-timers who have been doing this for over 30 years. Some of them aren't even guiding anymore, but um, how do you see – you know, so we talked earlier about how Captains for Clean Water and groups like that have brought people together across different generational and all sorts of divides. But what do you think would be the most helpful thing for the guide community at large just to be able to have better relationships amongst each other? That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I, if, I mean, if we could eliminate ego across the board, that would be uh, it would just all naturally fall in place. Um, what I've been doing personally, and this is a tough one for me because as a guide, you recognize that that guide next to you is your direct competition. Mm -hmm. um, you recognize that that they're, you know, in a lot of cases, they're going to talk highly of themselves and not of uh, other guides because mm -hmm. that's how they keep their business. And that's a lot of that that goes on. And what I've done my, on my own um, is started to befriend the younger guides and encourage them and um, create a a wave of positive information back and forth where they, you know, they understand that, that, that I don't recognize, I don't necessarily see them as a competition, mm -hmm. uh, that I want them to succeed. I want them to do good. And I think in general, um, as guides, if we can understand that we are all the same and we're doing it because we love it, we're doing it because we love the water, we love the mm -hmm. fish, we're the same. And um, you're not going to find that same kind of passion outside of the industry. And so, it's hard to recognize that. It's hard to let go of the ego. It's hard mm -hmm. to let go of that concern that that they're competition. But um, uh, you know, I, I, it would be awesome if there was a little less ego and a little more positivity in the, mm -hmm. in the industry. Uh, I think that would go a long way. You good if we move into some fun rapid fire questions as we uh, yeah close out? Sure, man. I don't I don't care. We'll start easy. But what's your favorite species of fish to target? That's a bad question. That's not a good rapid question. <laughs> Um, I'm so blessed to fish in South Florida. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I dare you to find a place that has more world-class species in one and accessibility within one day mm -hmm. anywhere in the planet. Um, and then is a super accessible from anyone in the planet, mm -hmm. you know, at any given day I could be catching bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, redfish triple tail, cobia, grouper, sailfish, dolphin. I mean, it doesn't exist anywhere else, um, at least not as a, in this level of accessibility. Mm -hmm. And so every, and the, the other awesome part about it is that seasonally, the opportunity for those species changes. Mm -hmm. And an opportunity in the sense that how you target them, the technique, and the, and the technique, in my opinion, dictates how much fun that species is. Because I can catch redfish all year long. Mm -hmm. But when they're on the flats tailing in huge schools, that's pretty freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, bonefish you can catch almost all year round. But in the wintertime, you're fishing them in five foot of water, and it's mm -hmm. not real fun. In the, in the fall, in the spring, they're in super shallow, and they're in, you know they're cruising across the top of the flats, and they're tailing, and that's super fun. Um, tarpon you can catch almost all year round. But in the spring, they're migrating on the ocean. That's unbelievable. So I, I have a lot of favorite species. Mm -hmm. And it really depends on the season and the technique. Um, I guess you could go back and just say that I'm, I'm a sight fisherman mm -hmm. and I would rather get one shot at a fish laid up and see him, see the reaction, and see him go eat it and catch that fish, then catch 50 on a blind mm -hmm. cast. So my 
general favorite fish revolves around the sight fishing technique of this season at that time. Okay. And if you could only do one. Oh, my God. That's too much, man. Oh. I won't tell the fish. Uh, I mean, say. honestly, as a guide, if I could only do one, it would be redfish. Mm-hmm. Because they are accessible all the time. Mm-hmm. I've said it a lot. I mean, if, if a redfish could jump and it made fast runs, it would be the best game fish ever. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, you know, they eat shrimp and crabs and bait fish and they eat flies and artificial and, and yeah. live bait. They they school, they tail, they float, they you know crawl, yeah. they do everything that you want in a game fish. And they're accessible all year long. Yeah. So if the, I had to pick one. The triple tail are fun on the on on a fly too, if you're catching them off a structure or rope sure. or whatever. If they cruise the flats, oh, well, you know, we, if they we, were getting skinny and we get them on the flats. Y'all do all the time. Yeah, they float by all the time. And the, what makes triple tail fun is the sight fishing aspect. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times we've been in tarpon season. And on the tarpon line, you'll see a triple tail float by. Yeah. And we're not doing great for tarpon that day. We're not getting eats or there's not a lot of flow. And I push that client over and say, why don't you throw that, that big black fly we're throwing at the tarpon to that triple tail? And the triple tail eats it. Mm-hmm. And that lands it. And the guy's like, wow, that was pretty fun. Yeah. Hey, can we they go jump. Get, they can, run. Yeah. Can we, can we go see another one? And before you know it, the guy wants to go catch triple tail. And we were, he came from wherever he was, come, you know, from Colorado to come catch a tarpon. And it's not about necessarily the species always. Mm-hmm. It's about the technique. And if you can sight fish, sight fishing is fun. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you have a favorite day particular day like on the water when you look back at at your childhood oh um no i wish i did i wish i did you know um you know maybe if if you could classify childhood as you know maybe my teens Mm -hmm. um when i I, that first time I, i took a i took a couple friends fishing and i didn't fish I just, uh, I kind of helped them catch mm-hmm. the first fish and saw that I was, you know, at the end of the day, I, it like hit me that, you know, I put those guys on fish mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. I didn't, I didn't even catch a fish. Wait a second. I didn't catch a fish today. And, uh, that was a pretty awesome childhood moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't, I don't think I verbalized it, but mm-hmm. at that moment, I think I realized I was going to be a guy that that's the reason I'm here. Yeah. The first time you kind of went out and functioned as a guide, yeah. in a sense. And, just, and it wasn't planned, it just happened. What is something that you're good at or that you really thoroughly enjoy that's not related to fishing that, that maybe many people don't know about you? I'm good at being a dad. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love my daughters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a tough subject because, again, I spent so much time away from them. But uh, they are, you know, the fuel for what I do, everything I do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to say I'm good at being a dad. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. If if you weren't in the fishing industry, mm-hmm. what do you think you would do vocationally? Oh, my God. I'd probably be dead somewhere. <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I tie myself to fishing because it's outside mm-hmm. and the outdoors and I'm an entrepreneur I'm on my own and I don't have a boss and there's a lot to be said for that I don't think I can function in a corporate situation I mean I don't think I could be in an office I know I can't be in an office oh I I probably would you know I'd probably be working in a landscape crew Mm -hmm. because I just couldn't function any otherwise I you know, I have to be outside. Yeah. So I don't well, you're an entrepreneur. You'd probably be running a landscape crew at this point. Maybe. I mean, you probably have a higher, um, under, you have higher appreciation for who I am than I do. I, 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 you know, I just, I don't think I can function 
if mm-hmm. I couldn't be on the water. The water is my life. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Costa has this new slogan out, and it was like perfection for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who need water to breathe. And I, I was like, well, that's, that's pretty corny. And then I thought about it. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, that really is who mm-hmm. I am. I, I have to be on the water. I have to be near the water. I have to be touching the water every single day. So I don't know what I would do. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Well, if people want to follow you mm-hmm. and stay up to date with what's happened, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, you can find me on social media and a couple of platforms. Um, probably if they wanted to continue to be educated on what's going on, Instagram is the best way. Mm-hmm. And my tag is super easy. It's Captain Abbreviated, Benny Blanco. And, and I mean, if you search Benny or Blanco mm-hmm. or Waterman or TV, you're going to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I try to post there every single day uh, for a lot of reasons. I think, I think my business, you know, is what it is because I post on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's something that doesn't necessarily get me a great fan base within the guy community mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they generally don't think social media is really a friend of what we're doing. But mm-hmm. from a business perspective, it makes absolute sense to be in contact with your, with your clientele on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on, the, on there every day. And um, when we have events that come up, when we have an opportunity to educate on anything, you can definitely get it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, really soon we'll have a website for the new show, and, um, and that will absolutely be an avenue for all my partner organizations to educate. And, and once that's up, I'll definitely make sure on my social media mm-hmm. platforms that everyone knows how to get there. And um, it w- we won't be selling you anything. Mm-hmm. We'll just be educating. And I want you. I would love for everyone to go there, and listen to what our organiz- you know, our conservation partners have to say. Yep. And I'll make sure to keep that included Perfect. and up to date on the blog post. But Thank thanks you. so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Hunter. Thank you so much. Man. Right. Honored to be on here. Yeah. Have a good day. All right, man. You too. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Collective. Hey, please continue to try to spread the word about the podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any ideas or any feedback, please feel free to reach out. We hope that you enjoyed. This is the Captain's Collective. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Captain's Collective podcast. Before we dive in, I just wanted to let you know about one of our sponsors, Nikon. Nikon is a trusted company when it comes to optics, and they make a wide range of products for the outdoors. From cameras to binoculars to hunting scopes, Nikon has earned a reputation for building great gear. What you might not know about Nikon is that Nikon engineers their products from the inside out and creates an optical system specific to the function of each product. And because Nikon is one of the few makers of optical glass, they have the unique advantage to specify the exact type of glass needed to optimize the performance of their product. For the water, I recommend the Ocean Pro series. They are powerful, fog resistant, feature a built-in compass display, and have a large exit pupil that makes holding steady in rough water easier. And like all Nikon products, they come with a lifetime guarantee. So make sure to check them out and give yourself the advantage.